0: good day and thank you for standing by welcome to the crocs inc second quarter 2021 earnings call at this time all participants are in only mode after the speaker's presentation there will be a question and answer session to ask a question during the session you will need to press star one on your telephone please be advised today's conference is being recorded if you require any further assistance please press star zero I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Corinne Lin. Please go ahead.
1: Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us today for the Crocs Second Quarter 2021 Earnings Call. Earlier this morning, we announced our latest quarterly results, and a copy of the press release may be found on our website at crocs.com. We would like to remind you that some of the information provided on this call is forward-looking and, accordingly, is subject to the safe harbor provisions of the federal securities laws. These statements include, but are not limited to, statements regarding potential impacts to our business related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Crox is not obligated to update these forward-looking statements to reflect the impact of future events. We caution you that all forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties described in the risk factor section of our annual report on Form 10-K. Accordingly, actual results could differ material from those described on this call. Please refer to Croc's annual report on Form 10-K, as well as other documents filed with the SEC for more information relating to these risk factors. Adjusted gross margin, income from operations, operating margin, and earnings per diluted common share are non-GAAP measures. A reconciliation of these amounts to their GAAP counterparts is contained in the press release we issued earlier this morning. Joining us on the call today are Andrew Reese, Chief Executive Officer, and Ann Melman, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Following their prepared remarks, we will open the call for your questions. At this time i'll turn the call over to andrew
2: thank you carrie and good morning everyone our q2 results are exceptional as we continue to see strong demand for the crocs brand globally our confidence in the strength of our brand is also reflected in our raised 2021 guidance looking beyond this year we're announcing that the crocs brand will have net zero emissions by 2030. we will erase our already low emission footprint per shoe and enable us to provide comfort without carbon to our fans worldwide. I'm excited for our future, and I'm confident we can deliver sustained, highly profitable growth while having a positive impact on our planet and our communities. Turning to the highlights from the second quarter of 2021, revenues nearly doubled versus prior year to $641 and increased 79% from 2019. Revenue growth was strong across all regions, with the Americas up 136%, and on a constant currency basis, EMEA up 53%, and Asia up 27%. Sandals, one of our long-term growth pillars, grew by 57% in the second quarter, and 38% for the first half. Digital sales grew by 25% versus prior year, and an impressive 99% versus 2019, to represent 36% of revenues. DTC grew 79% versus prior year and 86% versus 2019 to represent 52% of revenues. Adjusted operating income more than doubled to 196 million and adjusted operating margins expanded to a record of 31%. Adjusted diluted earnings per share increased by $1.22 to $2.23. Underlying these incredible results is the iconic brand we have built. To continue to fuel brand relevance and consideration globally, we leverage digital and social marketing, influencer campaigns, and collaborations. We were the first footwear brand to market an augmented reality experience on TikTok with our hashtag GetCrop challenge, featuring try-on sandals and clogs with gibbets Globally, this drove over eight billion views and over one million uses of the hashtag. We also generated buzz when Balenciaga Spring 2022 runway featured our second collaboration together, comprised of a knee-high rain boot and a croc Madame Stiletto. Global collaboration highlights include London-based skatewear brand, Palace. In Russia, rave music brand, Little Big. In Japan, highly influential retailer, Beams, and in South Korea, world-famous ramen brand, Nongshim. Finally, in the US, we reintroduced our Free Pair for Healthcare initiative during National Nurses Week, where we gave away 50,000 pair of Crocs at Work shoes to frontline caregivers. We're proud of the brand we have built and especially pleased with the initiatives such as Free Pair for Healthcare that enable the Crocs brand and business to have a positive impact on our communities. This week we announced our next step in having a positive impact on our planet, our commitment to becoming a net-zero emissions by 2030. Our inherently simple approach to design, the materials we use, and how our shoes are manufactured means that our Classic Clod already has a low carbon footprint of only 3.94 kilograms of carbon per pair. We're taking it a step further with our plan to achieve net-zero emissions through sustainable ingredients And packaging as well as a responsible resource use. We anticipate our consumers will be as excited as we are about our commitment to having a positive impact on our planet. In addition to reducing our environmental footprint, our comfort journey will increasingly include uplifting our communities and creating a welcoming environment for everyone rooted in a culture of transparency and accountability. This week, we launched a new brand purpose section of our Crocs.com site and a new ESG section of our investor site to share our progress. I encourage you to review the content that we will discuss in greater detail at our upcoming investor day. Now let's turn to second quarter operating highlights. We're very excited by the growth we've seen in all key product pillars, plugs, sandals, and gibbets. Plug sales were outstanding, increasing 101% year-over-year to represent 74% of total footwear revenues versus 68% last year. We continue to innovate and are encouraged by the initial results of our new platform and seasonal colors and prints. Sandal sales were a standout, increasing 57% for Q2 and 38% for the first half, driven by our classic slide and classic sandal that both feature personalization as well as Brooklyn and Tulum franchises. In addition to this strong growth, we're very pleased that in our global brand study, sandal consideration is now in line with that of clogs. Given the strength of clogs, sandals represented 20% of Footwear sales for the quarter, versus 23% last year. And as we have shared, while we expect clog growth to outpace sandals this year, we anticipate that over the longer term, sandals will grow faster than clogs. Gift sales were once again exceptional, more than tripling for the quarter versus last year. The global personalization megatrend continues, and Crocs fans enjoy the experience of shopping for charms in our retail and wholesale stores. From a channel perspective, global DTC revenues, which include revenues from e-commerce and company-owned retail stores, grew by 79%. Retail had extraordinary performance, with traffic and conversion up significantly from more normalized second quarter of 2019. E-commerce performed well, and this was the 17th consecutive quarter of double-digit e-commerce growth. Digital sales grew 25% on top of an elevated 2020 compare to represent 36% of our second quarter sales, compared to 56% last year and 33% in 2019. Digital remains our top priority, and we continue to invest in our customer experience globally to retain our competitive advantage relative to other footwear brands. Our wholesale channel, which includes brick-and-mortar, e-tail, and distributors, grew revenues by 112% versus prior year, and 71% compared to 2019. Our focus on strategically important accounts, comprised of leading e-tailers, sporting goods, family footwear, and specialty footwear retailers, Led to a strong growth in all subchannels globally. Our top 20 brick and mortar accounts and distributors were standouts as they rebounded from the depths of the pandemic. Finally, profitability was exceptional as we achieved record quarterly adjusted operating margins and record quarterly adjusted EPS. While we remain incredibly optimistic about our business and have substantially raised four year 2021 guidance, as we emerge from the pandemic, Global logistics remain challenging and volatile. In addition, we are increasingly seeing COVID spikes in some of our primary manufacturing countries and are concerned about the short-term impact of potential factory closures on supply. We have attempted to incorporate both the additional expense and the potential supply disruption into our guidance to annual review. Before I turn the call over to Anne, I want to thank the entire Crocs organization, These results are a reflection of the hard work and dedication to the cross-brand. I'm excited for our future and look forward to achieving our commitment of net zero by 2030, creating a more comfortable world for us all. With that, I will now review our financial results in more detail.
1: Thank you, Andrew, and good morning, everyone. We'll begin with a short recap of our second quarter results. For a reconciliation of the non-GAAP amounts mentioned to their equivalent GAAP amounts, please refer to our press release. Our second quarter results were exceptional. We delivered record quarterly revenues on broad-based growth across all regions, channels, and product pillars. Profitability was best in class as we expanded gross margins, leveraged SG&A, and increased earnings per share. Second quarter revenues came in at $640.8 million, compared to $331.5 million in the second quarter of 2020, a 93.3% increase, or 88.4% on a constant currency basis. Growth was 78.5% versus the second quarter of 2019. Year-to-date revenues exceeded $1.1 billion, an increase of 68.1% versus the first half of 2019. We sold 29.1 million pairs of shoes, an increase of 78.8% over last year and 52.7% versus the second quarter of 2019. Our average selling price during Q2 increased 8% to $21.84, with the increase attributable to less promotional activity and higher pricing, as well as favorable product mix, including increased sales of charms per shoe. The Q1 price realignments we took on certain products in select markets globally have been successfully adopted and, as evidenced by our growth, have not hindered demand. Now, let's review our results by region. As Andrew mentioned earlier, the Americas had another great quarter, with revenues at $405.7 million, up 136.4%. GTC growth of 128.1% was outstanding, driven by retail. Higher traffic, combined with anniversarying significant store closures last year, contributed to triple-digit growth in company-owned retail stores and more than doubled versus 2019. Digital penetration was 30.9% in the second quarter, compared to 30.7% in 2019. Wholesale growth was at 149.3% versus prior year and 140% versus 2019. In Asia, Q2 revenues were $126.8 million, up 35.5% or 27.1% on a constant currency basis from last year. DTC increased 10.8% while wholesale grew 76.5%. Digital revenues grew 17.1% versus prior year and 40% versus 2019. Digital penetration also increased from 31% in 2019 to 40.5% this year. South Korea continues to exhibit strength, while several other countries in the region remain impacted by the pandemic. EMEA revenues increased 63.1% or 52.6% on a constant currency basis to $108.3 million, with growing brand heat offsetting any global logistics disruptions. DTC revenues increased 29.2%, with e-commerce strengths driven by higher traffic and a return to growth in retail as stores reopened. Wholesale revenues grew 82.6%, fueled by broad-based strengths in e-tails, distributors, and brick-and-mortar. Our EMEA business overall continues to benefit from our focus on digital commerce, which represented 52.5% of EMEA revenue this quarter versus 40.3% in Q2 2019. Second quarter adjusted gross margins were 61.8%, up 660 basis points from last year's 55.2%. The majority of the improvement was driven by price increases coupled with fewer promotions and discounts, offsetting pressures from elevated freight rates. Currency favorably impacted margins by approximately 90 basis points. Our adjusted SG&A improved to 31.2% of revenues versus 33% in last year's second quarter, The decrease in adjusted SG&A rate is a result of strong sales growth and operating leverage. We invested approximately $60 million versus the first quarter to support our strategic initiatives, digital, sandals, China, and marketing. We will continue to make investments this year to support the long-term trajectory of our business. Our second quarter, adjusted operating income, more than doubled to $196.4 million versus $73.8 million last year with robust operating profit growth in all regions. Adjusted operating margin rose from 22.3% last year to 30.7% this year, benefiting from gross margin expansion and SG&A leverage on strong sales growth. For Q2, our underlying non-GAAP effective tax rate was 24.7%, excluding a one-time benefit of $175.4 million. The income tax benefit and decrease in our GAAP effective tax rate were driven primarily by the realization of deferred tax assets, which were previously subject to evaluation allowance. Second quarter non-GAAP adjusted diluted earnings per share increased to $2.23, compared to $1.01 a year ago. Our liquidity position and balance sheet remain strong. We finished the quarter with $197.9 million of cash and cash equivalents, and $386.4 million in borrowings, and have ample liquidity with $454.7 million of borrowing capacity on a revolver. In Q2, we executed a $300 million ASR, which resulted in the repurchase of 2.9 million shares at an average price of $103.79 per share. We expect to generate significant operating cash flow and to maintain a strong balance sheet. We will continue to prioritize investment in the business to support our future growth. We will also continue to be opportunistic with respect to our capital structure and our capital returns. Inventory at June 30, 2021, was $209.1 million, up from $146.8 million in the second quarter last year. Inventory was lean throughout Q2, and we ended the quarter with higher in transit inventory due to the continuation of global logistics challenges. Turning to the future, I would like to share our current outlook for the third quarter and full year 2021. As Andrea mentioned, global logistics remain volatile. Due to the lack of visibility, we have provided guidance with potential supply chain disruptions and additional expense in mind. For Q3, we expect revenue to grow approximately 60 to 70% and adjusted operating margin to expand to be between 24% and 26%. Strong growth is expected in all regions and all channels as brand momentum continues. Given our extraordinary first-half performance and confidence in the momentum of the Crocs brand, we are raising full-year 2021 guidance. We now expect 2021 revenue to grow between 60 and 65 percent. At the midpoint, growth in the second half is anticipated to be 49 percent versus 2020 and 100 percent versus 2019. In addition, we expect adjusted operating margins to be approximately 25 percent for the full year 2021. While we expect to leverage sg long-term, we plan to invest in the back half of this year to support future growth. We now expect our underlying non-GAAP tax rate to be approximately 23%, which is higher than previous guidance due to greater-than-expected profit in our U.S. business. We look forward to sharing our long-term growth algorithm at our upcoming Investor Day on September 14th. In summary, we delivered outstanding revenues and profitability that exceeded expectations, while strengthening our balance sheet and investing in our future growth. At this time, I'll turn the call back over to Andrew for his final thoughts. Thank
2: you, Anne. Before we open the line for Q&A, I want to acknowledge that Dorian Wright is retiring from our board of directors after a decade of service. I want to express my gratitude for all of Dorian's many contributions and wish her all the best in the future. I also want to thank our talented team around the world, without which these results would not be possible. The Crocs brand remains incredibly strong, as evidenced by our second quarter results and our increased guidance for 2021. We're incredibly excited for the future, which now includes achieving net zero emissions by 2030 and having a positive impact on our planet. Operator, please open the call for questions.
0: As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question is from John with RW Baird. Your line is open.
3: Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I wanted to start off when you think about the second half guidance, given the raise to the full year revenue, and I think you highlighted there's an embedded acceleration to 100% growth at the midpoint versus 2019 for the second half. Could you just Maybe share more detail on what you're seeing, um, maybe across channels and geographies, to support your confidence in that in that two-year acceleration from here yet.
2: Hey, thanks, John. I'll uh, give you a bit of color and then pass it over to Anne to give you kind of some more specifics. Um, Yeah, look, we remain incredibly confident in the uh, trajectory of the brand. Obviously, we've had a very strong first half, very strong Q2. And as we look across um, all of our channels, we really see uh, strength in in all the channels. Maybe I'll start with retail, uh, where we had uh, really exceptional growth. So our stores have reopened this year. Um, We've seen uh, significant increases in traffic. We've seen significant increases in conversion. And uh, our retail stores, uh, both here in the U.S. and and also particularly in Korea, perform uh, really well. Um, digital is performing well. I think we highlighted the uh, 99% comp over the 2019 uh, numbers, um, and digital is both our own e but in uh, addition e-tail. And then from a wholesale perspective, um, again, uh, our wholesale channel is performing well. I think we called out in particular our brick-and-mortar, our leading 20 brick-and-mortar accounts and our distributors. Um, so distributors, we kept, uh, fairly lean on inventory last year through the pandemic. We didn't want them backing up on aged inventory. Um, so as they're emerging, uh, they are replenishing, um, and, uh, and, and I would say very bullish about the future of the brand. So I think we're, we're confident on, on all dimensions.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think just to add a little color by region as well, you know, we saw Europe, um, EMEA growth is almost 53% constant currency in the quarter. So really good to see some international growth coming on strong, and we expect those trends to continue. Um, Asia also returned to growth on a two-year basis, which is great to see. So we expect all of our regions to contribute to those um, growth factors in Q3 and Q4. And then obviously, you know, we have some visibility um, on our order book that supports, you know, all of this growth that we're guiding.
3: Okay, that's uh, encouraging and very helpful. Maybe secondly, then, when you think about the supply chain ability to keep up with that growth. Could you just share more, given your outside exposure to Vietnam from a sourcing perspective, can you just share more of the current state of uh, the environment there and and the key factories? And then uh, you mentioned having embedded some impact in the second half, so maybe you can give a little more color um, with what's embedded in the expectations.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I would say, John, that's a great question. It's probably one of our key concerns. So as you look at global supply and logistics, look, it's been extremely challenging for the last 12 months. You know, we've been living with this for the last 12 months and performed as we have performed in the last 12 months, given that. Um, and so what's different today uh, – and, and let me break those two pieces apart. One is global logistics, which is containers, freight time, et cetera – and just to give you a perspective, I would say kind of transit times from Asia to most of our leading markets are approximately double what they were historically, right? So, but that's been the case for some time, and we're expecting to live with that. Uh, we've also seen elevated freight costs, um, some in the first half of the year, and we're expecting to see more in the back half of the year. And we've embedded that expense into our uh, projections. I think what's different now is the COVID spikes that we're seeing in uh in, in our, say, Southeast Asia and particularly Vietnam. Um, and our expectation is that we will see some temporary factory closures um, in the next quarter as Vietnam uh, battles COVID. Um, they're unfortunately don't have access to or, or the ability to administer um, the amount of vaccine that we have in this country. Um, so really they're left with uh, lockdowns and being judicious about how people interact. Um, so we do expect temporary factory closures which will obviously impact uh, impact supply. Um, so, you know, but with that, uh, we've embedded that in, in in our guidance in terms of, you know, re- really trying to make sure that we're confident in the amount of inventory that A we have on hand uh, and B what we have in transit, um, and we feel really comfortable with where we are given those uncertainties.
3: Okay, thank you very much.
0: Yeah. Your next question is from Arian Murphy with Piper Sandler. Your line is open. Great. Thanks.
1: Good morning and really great quarter.
0: Um, I guess just, Andrew, for you on that last
1: point on Vietnam, can you just remind us how big Vietnam is as a percent of your overall sourcing and just how quickly you can move into other regions if some of these rolling lockdowns continue? And then I guess bigger picture on APAC, could you share a little bit more about what you saw in China in the quarter how did you how do the consumers respond to six eighteen and any other kind of key initiatives as you kind of refocus um, that region for growth?
2: All right, I'll let uh, Anne talk about um, Vietnam and factory space to start with, and then let me pick up China.
1: Hi, Erin. So as you know, we manufacture a significant portion of our um, products in Vietnam. We don't release the overall percentage, but it is the most significant manufacturing geography for us. And then, you know, as well as, supplemented by China, Indonesia, and a couple other places around the world. But Vietnam is our most significant
2: that perspective. Yeah, and I think the ability to move out of China, yeah, we have absolutely some ability. Um, we have some capacity, spare capacity in, in – uh, sorry, the ability to move out of Vietnam. We do have some spare capacity other places, but, but it's not enough to, uh, to make a, a wholesale change. Then in terms of, uh, you know, China trading, um, look, I think we were really – let me kind of – go back up to Asia first and then come down to China. you know we were really pleased with our Asia performance um, during the uh, during the quarter. Obviously, we grew nicely even on a, in a constant currency basis. there was some currency that helped the headline number but on a constant currency basis, we grew nicely at twenty seven percent and that was despite you know, some significant COVID impacts around Asia. When you think about India, uh, when you think about state of emergency in Japan, and also uh, the lack of travel in Southeast Asia and the current spikes that you're seeing. Um, in terms of China, I think we've talked extensively about the uh, the repositioning plan that we have in place. I would say we think it was a really good quarter in China. Uh, we executed really well against all of the dimensions of that repositioning plan, um, including elevating and enhancing our marketing, uh, trading on um, a mid-season festival. Um, so we feel really good about the performance in China, and we, I think, are set up well and very confident about accelerated growth in 22.
1: Great, that's great to hear. And then. Maybe if you could speak a little bit more about the goal you established last night um, to get to net zero by 2030. I guess our question is, what percent reduction um, are you committing to versus just using offset to net out the rest? So just curious on some of the kind of commitments internally to, to get there. And, and I'm assuming, I mean, this is well ahead of most footwear companies that we've benchmarked. So just really, I mean, fantastic job to, to, you know, put this out already.
2: Great, Thank you, Aaron. We appreciate that. So well, what I would say is, look, we've been working on this for some time, and we've been working on this from a number of dimensions. One is uh, sourcing and working with, I would say, a major chemical company as a partner to to uh, identify the potential for sustainable ingredients to go into our products so uh, deriving our cross phone from uh, in st- sustainable ingredients and we uh, we've identified a solution to that that we feel very comfortable with um, and we'll be focused on scaling that solution over the coming years which is really one of the key factors in terms of lowering our overall footprint but we're also looking at it from lots of different angles uh, from a packaging perspective i think one thing that we've done for years is really not ship our product in packaging. We don't use shoeboxes, um, so 85% of our product ships without a shoebox. But we think we can do even better there. Um, but also looking at uh, sustainable uh, energy that we would use in our facilities, including some of our factories, um, as well as uh, reuse. Um, so as we look at the whole, uh, uh, you know, carbon footprint and all of the key components that go into that you know obviously we start from a great place with a very low carbon footprint on our classic clog at 3.94 kilograms of carbon Uh, we will be posting that on our website here very shortly and we will also be measuring the footprint of all of our other products over time and releasing that information so we want to be really transparent about this in terms of the uh, future goals yes part of it is offsets um, but we will be making a substantial reduction in our actual carbon uh, footprint in of itself. Um, we're not ready to disclose that at this stage, but we'll talk much more about that in our September um, uh, investor day. Um, so we do have some significant internal goals around
1: that. Great, and then just last one, Anne, for you, just the CapEx guidance for the year moved from 100 to, and 130 million to 80 to 100 million. What was the difference in the change? Was there anything in terms of supply chain investments that you pushed out or was it another investment? Thanks so much yeah no we're very committed still to the investments we're making around our supply chain it's really just timing of costs. um and this year so it really has nothing to do with that it's it's just really more around timing super continued success thanks so much okay. thanks
0: sarah your next question is from mitch connect with paper Tower research group open-
4: Hi, uh, yes thanks for taking my questions and congrats on the quarter um Andrew, if I heard you correctly, you made a comment that sandal consideration is now comparable to clogs. Um, help me understand how meaningful that is. And maybe what you can do is, is there any way you could provide context around that in terms of, like, what that consideration was a year ago or two years ago versus clogs, um, just so we understand what it means to be comparable? And then also, I don't think you're saying that, you know, next year you're going to sell as many sandals as clogs, but w- what could that mean going forward in terms of the the growth of the sandal business for consideration to now be at the level that it is.
2: Great. Thanks, Mitch. I'm glad you picked up on that. Yes. Um, So we think actually it's it's very important, right? So what we mean by that is when we measure um, brand consideration with our consumers, we run a, you know, obviously, you know, consumer brand study um, every quarter to try and assess where our consumers are one of our key questions is, uh, is consideration for the clog, consideration for sandals, et cetera. I would say historically, the sandal consideration number has been a fraction of the clog consideration number. That's what we're known for. That's what most consumers uh, would, would consider purchasing a crux item. They would first consider a clog. So we think it's very meaningful that the sandal consideration has risen over time. It's risen because of the marketing we've we've done behind it. It's risen because of some of the new products that we've brought into market, particularly those that are personalizable, Um, and so I think it's very meaningful. Um, In terms of what does it mean in the future for revenues, no, we're not saying that sample sales will be equivalent to clog sales in the future, but I think it gives us a lot of confidence. In that sound trajectory that we've been talking about, and you know, we started, we saw again here in Q2, but it gives us a lot of confidence in that in that growth strategy
4: that we talked about. Got it. Okay. And then, Anne, just a quick one for you. Um, as I kind of work my model, uh, given the quarter and the guide, um, I kind of back into a Q4 operating margin of like 16 to 17%. Hopefully, my math is correct. That's that's down from. Q4 last year, obviously down from kind of the run rate that you're on. I'm just kind of curious, uh, why is that not higher? Is that based on some of the investments that you're making on the SGNA side? Does that uh, reflect some of the supply chain issues that you're kind of anticipating uh, going forward? Um, can you maybe address that?
1: Yeah. So we didn't we didn't get specifically for Q4, so just, you know, reiterating that we said approximately 25 of the year. I think um, – the biggest things in the back half are really around we're going to continue to invest in SG&A, particularly in marketing. Marketing expense was up um, this quarter about 26000000 So million. And we'll continue, as we talked about on our last call, we'll continue to invest in marketing, and our marketing expenditures for the year will be just a little over 7% of revenue. So that will accelerate, continue to accelerate through the back half, and we will continue to invest for the future to support our future growth. And then from a margin standpoint, Um, We will have some margin pressure, although for the back half, margins will be up. Um, Gross margins will be up over last year. We will have some pressure just based on um, what we talked about with logistics and freight um, and and kind of the overall logistics environment. So those two factors are combining um, to put to our guide of approximately 25%
0: for the year.
4: Okay. All right. Thanks for good luck.
0: Next question is from Sam Poster with Williams Trading. Your line is open.
5: Um, thanks, everybody. Uh, so I've got a couple. I want to follow up on Mitch's question. Can you hear me? Yeah. you are find Sam. Okay. Okay. Hi. Um, I, I just want to follow up on Mitch's question regarding um, regarding uh, the the fourth quarter and 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 just by asking, with the incremental marketing spend that you're pushing in, you beat. How much incremental marketing as a percent or however you want to talk about it was there in Q two, and how much of those incremental sales can you attribute to it? and how much incremental marketing is built into the balance of the year? and what kind of are you what kind of sales lift are you attributing to that within the guidance?
1: Okay. Let me try to let me try to parse that. So from a marketing perspective, year to date, I believe marketing's up about twenty-eight million dollars. Um twenty-six million of that was in Q two. So obviously the majority of that incremental spend year to date was in Q two. And we'll see, you know, much of the same type of spend and you know, in order to get to that approximately seven percent, you can do the math, um, a little over seven percent in the back half of the year. About, you know, some of that is performance marketing, as you mentioned, which is variable, which supports e-com, which is a little bit more transactional. And the rest of that is brand, so it's hard to say to equate how much of the increased revenue is actually related to that marketing. But what we do know is that our marketing is incredibly effective, and we look at things like brand surveys, see those trending in the right way, see in no all consideration. And we know that in order to support our growth long term, um, we need to continue to spend into that. So I think it's really less about what the incremental that is contributing to this year and more about what the incremental is going to contribute to, to our future.
5: Okay I'm going to come back to it I'm I'm not arguing that you shouldn't be spending the money what I'm saying is is how much of the near term my question is is I I believe that because even the brand marketing and the other is driving helped to drive a lot of your strong results this quarter that my question is is and I would assume based on the marketing your marketing percent of sales given the results were less than what you anticipated they would have been in Q2. Is that a fair statement based on the guidance you gave and the money you spent?
1: Was our marketing percentage less than what we planned for Q2? I'm sorry, I don't understand. Can you just that? Well, yeah, no. There, no, no
2: you're saying that, look, if, if we had sales acceleration above what we expected, um, did, did the marketing come in low? No, I think uh, I would say no to that uh, because – you know, a lot of our marketing is very variable. We plan on a very short term, uh, short period of time. E- even some of our brand marketing, we can lean into events or lean back from events, uh, especially around social media. So we we're very uh, we calibrate that very closely. So I wouldn't say it was uh, it was dramatic. It was less in in Q uh, in Q two than we expected. And you know, look, you know, I think our cl- our strategy is really clear, right? You know, we're we we have a great marketing um, strategy. We have, uh, I think, really effective team who uh, do, are doing some incredible work. So we're going to continue to spend to ignite consumer interest in the brand that's clearly working. And as Anne said, you know, we don't look at what is the incremental in the year. We think about it from a multi-year trajectory.
1: Yeah, and I think, Sam, oh, right. yeah, just one piece of that, too, is that um, if you look at our results, our, our 10Q will be out a little bit later, but if you look at our results by segment, I mean, you can see that we actually took some of the – um, increases that we were having in the U.S. and investing that overseas, particularly in our Asia market. So we can do that within the quarter.
5: Uh, all right. All right. Um, and, and then your, it, how much of your inventory, the current inventory on your books is in transit right now?
1: Um, I, we don't break out the in-transit versus the, um, what's on hand, but it's significant, and it's up significantly year over year. Much of the increase of our current inventory is actually sitting in transit And that's been pretty consistent all year, as we've just been working through logistics and, as Andrew talked about earlier, longer um, free cycle times.
5: And how much of your product um, for the that is made for the ba- – how much of the product that – you need for the full year is already produced. So by, by that, I'm asking, you know, how much of the production needed, I guess, for the next six, eight months is is made and how much of that is, what percent may be impacted by the issues in Vietnam?
1: Yeah, it's a good point, Tim, The majority of our products, you know, for Q3s, obviously, you know, Q3s, you know, you have your product in, So there is some for for Q4, but, you know, obviously it it increases as you go out and increase your time span.
5: All right. Thank you very much, and continued success. Thank you. you.
0: Your next question is from Susan Anderson with the Riley. Your line is open.
1: Hi, good morning. Let me add my congrats on an amazing quarter. Um, I was wondering if you could maybe talk around about your thoughts on promotions and as we look forward and the impact on gross margin levels. I'm curious if you think there's still room to pull back on promotions and also how you're thinking about price increases. Are there more planned for the back half or 2022? Thanks.
2: Yeah, so I think, uh, look, Um, We've been, you know, uh, very proactive in terms of pulling back on promotions, um, you know, through the year. Uh, Is there further room? I I would say some but not significant, right? And I would say those are particularly in, you know, maybe some of the Asian markets. Um, We've got a little bit of opportunity to continue to pull back as the brand heat uh, starts to accelerate in those markets. Um, But I I don't think that's significant go forward. Um, uh you know we've done a, a lot um you know if you look at our us website i mean it's essentially been non promotional all year long um etc so um and i think uh and as you look at our uh, you know stores uh, also uh, essentially non promotional um if you talk about price increases yeah there are some price increases that we're planning in 22 those have already been uh uh, communicated um, I would say they are stronger outside of the US particularly in in uh, again in asia uh, as we uh, as we look to 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 manage price value in given markets, as we said we always look at the the price of the product relative to competition, relative to uh, the brand heat in that particular market. So there are some price increases that will flow through um, in 22, but I would say they are also dramatically less significant than, than the, the moves that we made this year.
0: Oh, okay, great. And then
1: maybe if you could talk about your thoughts on Back to School. Are there any early reads that you could talk about or how you expect it to play out this year? And then I'm curious for this fall if there's any new products that you're expanding on, such as maybe your boot offering, similar to what you've done in Sandals.
2: Yeah, I think uh, we're we're very optimistic about Back to School. I, I would say... Um, early reads are strong, right? As we look at, um, you know, obviously there's some parts of the country that go back a lot earlier than others. As we look at the performance in those markets, uh, we, we're we seeing a trajectory that, uh, that we really like. So we're very optimistic about back to school. Um, obviously, it was very strong last year coming out of the, the, uh, the lockdowns of the pandemic. Uh, we feel very confident in our ability to, you know, anniversary and grow from that basis. Um, I would also point out, as you look at our seasonality, you know, the growth in back to school and the strength of fourth quarter, a lot of our seasonality that was historically in the business has really smoothed out. Um, and so, uh, you know, we can be incredibly profitable um, each quarter of the year. In terms of new products in the back end of the year, um, I would say particularly exciting is, uh, is Fuzz or, or Lime product. Um, it's been growing, um, been building now for about three slash four years. Um, but uh, we don't feel like, in any of the prior years, we've really tapped the full potential of that. So uh, we think Fuzz, um, both in, uh, in 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 the clock, but also some new exciting Fuzz product that will come out more broadly, um, will be uh, will be important in the back half.
0: Great, thanks so much. Good luck the rest of the year. Thank you. Your next question is from Jay So with UBS. Your is open.
6: Great. Thanks so much. Andrew, can you talk about the allocation model that um, the company's implemented over the last uh, quarter or two? And, and just talk to us, you know, what the benefits have been, you know, to the brand um, and, and, and to the operations overall.
2: Yeah, I think um, – so I, let me start off with saying I think the benefits are significant and really important. Uh, and the allocation model is one part of a sort of multi-pronged approach to really manage – our brand at wholesale um, you know obviously you know price promotion in our DTC channels we can control explicitly at wholesale we really have to look at things like map pricing which we instituted on on some of our key lines earlier this year um, and also allocation that we provide to our key wholesalers um, what we're trying to do with there is is really, is manage the amount of inventory that's in the marketplace on our uh, most important key styles um, and also provide differentiation uh, between our wholesale um, uh, partners so that they're not competing head-to-head which will allow them to, uh, to trade uh, more at full price um, and uh, and our brand to show up how we want it to show up for consumers. So, um, you know, I, I don't think it's anything new as you kind of think about the industry. Um, I would say it has been a important shift for Crocs as we've adopted what, what I might consider kind of best-in-class uh, brand management practices. I would say I think they've been incredibly well-received um, uh, across the industry. I'm sure there are uh, the occasional wholesale partner that would like uh, like more product. In fact, there are probably quite a few that would like more product. Um, but this is an important part of managing the
6: brand. I understood. Maybe just to follow up on that. You know, in the context of 136% growth in the Americas this quarter, which obviously is a, a phenomenal result, um, can you give us a sense of how you're able to drive that kind of growth and move to an allocation model? Like, what what you know, what would sales what would sales growth have been had, you know, you supplied you know Inventory maybe the way you had a year ago or two years ago.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think we know the answer to that question uh, because, as, as you point out, 130% sales growth is, is phenomenal, right? So, uh, th- and, you know, in, in short, what allowed that to happen is really consumer demand, right? Consumer takeaway has has uh, it, it, is is at that level or ahead of that, frankly, right? We're not stocking the channel; um, we're keeping the channel. Um, you know, pretty much where we would like it and, and uh, in a very healthy place. Um, so it's really consumer demand and consumer takeaway, and that's as a result of product innovation and all of the marketing that we do. So uh, in terms of what it could have been, I, I don't think that's uh, – we we don't know, and I'm uh, probably not that relevant because I think we're really comfortable
1: where we are. Yeah, I think it really supports our profitability as well. If you look at our 8% ASP growth in the quarter. It's hard to see how much of that is directly related, but it supports our wholesalers
6: out the doors and obviously our ASPs as well. Got it. And then maybe one more, if I can. Um, I think, Andrew, you mentioned some price increases are coming next year. Um, you know, given the map price and given some of the price increases that have happened, you know, how high can prices go? And, and you know, how, how do you think about the brand and the brand positioning relative to price in terms of, like, where the ultimate um, opportunity lies?
2: Yeah, I think um, that's a good question. And and just to to reiterate, the price increases I referenced are really outside of the United States. So, um, you know, one one thing that we're very conscious of uh, is the uh, consumer value that the brand provides. This is a very democratic brand. We serve a lot of consumers both from highly affluent to much less affluent. And we, we never want to be in a place where we're turning consumers away uh, because our product is kind of too expensive in their mind and not providing the value that we think it provides. Um, so we're very careful about, about pricing so that we don't push too far. I think we've uh, got that balance, I think, uh, about right at this point. Um, we're giving the consumers incredible value as well as obviously attracting the value that we think the brand deserves, and the marketing and product innovation deserves, and obviously providing a great return to shareholders. So, um, yeah, that's something we're very conscious of. It's very, very important to the uh, to the brand in in in, in uh, and its you know future trajectory. And the the, the price increases I talked about for next year are mostly outside the United States.
6: Got it. That's super helpful. Thank you so much.
0: Our next question is from Steven Malata with CL King. The line is open.
6: Good morning,
2: Andrew and Corey. And can you talk a little bit about how much channel mix was a factor in the second quarter gross margin delta and how much that will be a factor in what is the gross margin guidance is for the year?
1: Yeah, so channel mix from a year-over-year perspective was not incredibly um, – it was actually helped a little bit margins because a retail was so strong. And so, you know, from a gross margin standpoint, um, retail is very high. From an operating margin, as you know, we're rather agnostic. If you think about from a quarter-over-quarter quarter perspective, um, you know, Q1 is our tends to be our highest wholesale percentage quarter. So um, it's certainly from a quarter-over-quarter quarter perspective, you could see gross margins accelerate Q2 to Q1 because of that um, channel mix. And then for the year, um, I wouldn't say that it's it's the biggest impact, right? The biggest impact um, sitting around our margin are really pricing, pullback of discounts and promotions, as well as um, product mix, right, increase in our um, Jivis business, as well as clogs are very favorable, and then we have a little bit of currency in there. And then those are somewhat offset by increased rate pressures, as we talked about, but still supporting overall higher margins for the year.
5: Very helpful. Thank you.
0: Your next question is from Laura Champagne with Loop Capital. Your line is open.
7: Um, thanks for taking my question. I know you've um, answered a lot of questions on pricing so far, but I, I may have missed it. Did you give the um, growth mix units versus price in the quarter? a um, couple other ones on pricing, as you look to raise prices next year in other regions, are they just coming up closer to America's pricing, or um, uh, will there still be a significant differential? And then third on pricing, um, how much of a price increase do you need to take to hit your um, environmental goals with what I presume is a higher cost, um, more environmentally sound material.
1: Great. Well, let me answer your first question, and then I'll turn it over to Andrew to talk about price increases. So um, from an overall perspective, our units were up, our pairs sold were up 78.8%, and our ASP was up about 8%. And then as far as, um, as, far as the overall pricing and outside of the U.S., from prices outside of the U.S., uh, you know, they don't necessarily, it depends on the product, don't necessarily, and depending on currencies, tend to be higher than in the U.S., which is why we have an opportunity in some of our markets to align pricing. Yeah. Yeah, I would say
2: if you look at pricing outside the U.S., look, it, it's really dependent on, uh, I would say, the market, the competition, and the brand heat in that market. Um, so there are uh, international markets where we actually at a premium to the U.S., um, um, and there are others where it's like discount. So I would say broadly, yes, it's more coming in line with where we are positioned relative to competition and relative to consumer demand. Um, so I think that, that, you know, in terms of the genesis of your question, that's, that's what we're trying to do, right? So, uh, that's a driver. In terms of the, you know, incremental costs associated with some of our ESG efforts, um yeah, I think you know we feel like we'll talk a little bit more about that in our um, in our investor day in September. Um, but uh, you know we've incorporated that into our long term business planning, and uh, I think it's best if we kind of cover that in that context.
7: Got it. I, I guess a follow on. Um, in in obviously your Asia Pacific growth is accelerating. Um, but I am curious when I look at your pricing, whether that is slowing your growth down in China, or do you think that it's still just about finding the right partners in that market?
2: No, I would say very clearly, we do not believe pricing is slowing our growth down in China. Um, uh, we think we're, uh, we're we're priced appropriately in China. Um, we we you know as we look at the kind of um, the repositioning plan, it's about the partners, it's about our marketing investment, it's about um, our uh, e-tail business, and am sorry, e-com business, so um, no, we, we don't think it's about pricing, we think it's all a lot of different dimensions that, uh, as I mentioned to Aaron's question earlier, which we're really confident about the trajectory of
7: that and how it positions us for next year. Great, um, great quarter, guys, thank you.
0: Thank you. Okay. Your next question is from Jim Duffy with FIFO. Your line is open.
4: Thanks. Good morning. Terrific execution and congratulations to the team, guys. I, I want to ask about infrastructure. You've been very thoughtful about investing in infrastructure, but the volumes have just been huge. Uh, I'm curious, once the product is in the U.S. or other regions, are there bottleneck points or throughput challenges to delivering on demand and can you speak to areas of investment to support additional growth into 2022?
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, really thoughtful question, Jim. So um, we don't have any current bottlenecks uh, in our infrastructure. I would say there are many bottlenecks in the global logistics chain, whether it be Long Beach, whether it be rail out of Long Beach, whether it be availability of trucking, you know, the list goes on, right? Um, but so uh, we look at our ability to, Process goods, whether it's through our warehouse or through our crossdock uh, facilities, uh, we can process you know very high volume of goods and have certainly have no concerns for for 21 into 22. Um, you might note that we're significantly expanding our U.S. DC again. That will be open later next year, um, and we are also uh, we have moved to our new DC. Yeah, in the Netherlands, um, and will that will be kind of up to full operation again by the end of the year. So um, it's in partial operation across the two facilities today, but working really well. In terms of longer term investment, absolutely. We will uh, we continue to grow the business at these rates or other rates. We anticipate to continue to grow the business. We will continue to make investments in our infrastructure in the U.S., in EMEA, and, and some of our key Asian countries as well.
1: And one just note overall on the cost side, um, we've actually seen quite a lot of efficiencies from our U.S. distribution network this year, and that is showing up at our margins, and we we call that out as um, supporting our overall gross margin level. So we're really pleased with that.
4: Great. Yeah, those investments have uh, proved very prescient. Um, Andrew, can you talk about the tone of business with Asia distributors, uh, you know, kind of the glide path to recovery in that business, what you're seeing there? I
2: think that's that's a big unknown. Uh, I would say, and we're we're not anticipating that's not happening this year. Period. Right. So, uh, not not in our uh, prospects or in our guidance. Um, uh, those Asian distributors, as you know, you're right to point out, they can be significant. Um, there's large populations in those countries that we serve, um, and it's highly dependent on on tourist travel, and that's just not going to happen. Um, I guess if you ever to ask me when. I think it's late next year before people start traveling to to those countries, um, and that's kind of how we're thinking about it.
4: Okay, great. I look forward to connecting with you guys at the Investor Day. Thank
0: Thank you. you. We have a follow-up question from Erin Murphy with Piper Sander. Your line is open. Great, thanks. Um,
1: just one follow-up for me. On the buyback, I think you fully exhausted your existing authorization this quarter. Any thoughts on upping that in the near future? I think we have almost uh, $700 left on our existing buyback authorization. Okay,
0: got it. Maybe I'm mistaken. Thank you so much. Thank you. We also have a follow-up question from Sam Posters with Williams Writing. The line is open.
5: Uh, Hi, I have three um, quick ones just about looking forward with the gross margin. Um, You talked about mix from a product perspective, but um, do you expect the channel and geographic mix to continue to help you? Secondly, if you can give us some color on upcoming collaborations. And third, um, if you can discuss, um, you know, uh, how inventory at retail, both in your own stores and your partners and your uh, wholesale partner stores uh, is looking right now relative to the demand you're seeing, currently seeing.
2: All right, Sam, let, let's hit those in reverse order. So, retail, uh, inventory at retail, uh, I think, look, I, the way we think about Q2 is I think we, we were not in re- optimal retail, inventory position in our own retail or even our wholesale partners, right? So, um, it, it's better than it was. Um, at the end of Q1, but it's certainly not optimal. So um, and when I say optimal, I'm looking at kind of, uh, out of stocks and weeks of supply. So um I think that's an opportunity for, for the future. Um, what's what the second one? The collabs. So, collabs, great. The collabs, uh, we have a very strong pipeline, uh, of collabs. Uh, we talked a little bit more in our prepared remarks about all the different things that are going on. I know you track those closely. Um, but I would say we have a very full pipeline through the end of the year and increasingly have a very full pipeline
1: for next year. Yeah, and then on gross margin, Sam, we do expect um, channel mix, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, it, it will help. But the biggest drivers of gross margin for the year are really related to um, the pricing actions that we've taken, the continued pullback in promotional strategy, and then um, a little bit of currency. We expect currency to be about 70 basis points roughly for the year at current currency rates. Um, and all of those combined and then as I mentioned as well we have some efficiencies in our DCs and then some of those are offset slightly by increased freight rates. So margins will gross margins will be up for the year but those are the major drivers and gibbets.
5: Thanks very much.
1: Thanks, yeah. Sam.
2: I think that's all of our questions. So, um, and and we're at time. So, uh, really appreciate everybody's continued interest in the company, and thank you very much for attending this morning.
0: This concludes this conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.